Well, I, uh, again, Pastor Aaron is gone this week, and so I had told him uh, probably about a month and a half ago, I said, you know what would be a neat idea is if we preach on heaven and hell at the end of the year. So we can do heaven, we can do hell, it would be fascinating. I did not put the dates together that the hell part would be the day after Christmas. Okay, so I wasn't really expecting that uh, until stuff started unfolding. And uh, Steve is going to be uh, taking the new heavens and new earth next Sunday. Aaron will be in the service but not preaching. Uh, and then you get me. So I, for those of you that know, I'm Basil. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, me and Steve uh, Wellam are the two uh, elders. Then, of course, Aaron, who's gone, and Steve is in Florida. They'll both be back uh, next week. And I will tell you, uh, I can see right now it's 1025 as I'm getting ready to start. The very first question Aaron asked me, what do you think the first question is when he's gone and he calls me and asks me or texts me about the service? What does he want to know? What's that? Time. He wants to know when we finish. He wants to know the time that we finish. So I was trying to convince the song people, let's drag this out as long as we can. Uh, we were trying to have a handshake song go about 10, 15 minutes if we could. Uh, because he does not like to hear anything end at a certain time. I'm going to warn you, I only have two points, and it's simply not that long of a sermon, but I, I gave him uh, a couple options that were longer, and he kept telling me to cut it down. So, uh, But anyway, so we're speaking on hell and judgment and why hell matters this morning. And as I thought about it, I'll ask this to the congregation. So you, you kind of think, anytime you're mentioning hell or speaking on that and judgment the day after Christmas, boy, what a buzzkill, Right? I can think of a lot of other things that you would talk about rather than that. So that got me thinking, what are some phrases or topics that you have found have ruined holiday dinner? So I want you to think about that, whether it's a Thanksgiving meal, whether it's a Christmas meal, what, what topics are brought up in your family? I have my list I'm about to show you, but you guys give me some. Politics. Did somebody say politics? Yeah, politics is a good one. What else can can ruin a, a meal when someone brings it up. Of oh, vaccinations? Okay, good. That might ha appear in here. What else? Any other topics that can kind of bring everybody down? Uh, annoying, uh, annoying people, annoying Christmas shoppers. Annoying Christmas shoppers, okay, that could do it. Will, did you have one? Oh, you gotta, he's got to run it by his dad first, which is, which is always smart. Okay, he vetoed, he vetoed that. Well, I'm going to give you a few things that I, I believe are phrases that can kind of ruin holiday dinners. First one, everything on the table is low carb. That's going to ruin it, right? I mean, that's going to bring everybody down to a halt. And I'm sorry if one of you said that uh, during, during your, that's a phrase that will ruin it. Next one, mom, dad, my girlfriend is a communist. I think that's one that, you know what, I got that on iHeartRadio. I, I, I stole that one. Uh, but that's, that's one that can kind of, well, boy, that really... That could slow stuff down, right? That could slow stuff down. The next one, so who did you vote for in the last election? That's a good one, right? That's another one to just bring everybody down. Uh, we weren't expecting you. That's, I don't know, has anyone had that before? No one's had that before. Okay, you don't want that. Whose hair is this? Gen just, gen just as a general, doesn't even have to be a holiday. You don't want that. That's a phrase that will bring stuff down. This one's pretty current. I'm probably not contagious. You don't want to hear your dinner guests say that. No? You don't want to hear that. This year we went vegan. I hope nobody heard that this year. That's a terrible one. Nobody wants that one. Just a couple more. I would rather just have a burger. You know, you always have that person. You got the big spread and they just kind of want a burger or they want chicken nuggets. 
And then the last one, which is mostly just important in my house, especially to me and my son, I really dislike the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Uh, that, that's a way to get us to not really be that, uh, that thrilled uh, with you guys. So anyway, those are the, those are the various, uh, ver- various uh, things that could kind of get you uh, maybe out of the spirit. But, you know, it's funny, you know, even though it's an unpopular topic, Jesus took on this unpopular topic of hell in our story this morning. We're going to be reading Jesus's own words regarding hell in Luke 16. And where we'll be is also in your paperback Bibles page uh, 876 in your paperback Bibles. I think I said that right, right at the top of the page in the upper left-hand corner. It's the second verse uh, on there is where we'll be starting in verse 19. But Jesus addressed the topic uh, of hell more than all the prophets combined. He didn't just reference hell. He describes it in detail throughout the Gospels. So what moved Jesus to talk about hell, and what does he want us to know from him about this final judgment? We'll be in the Gospels this morning to answer the question, so if you can turn to Luke, uh, 19, uh, Luke 16, verses 19 to the end of the chapter. I'm going to be treating this story as a parable this morning. It's, it's wise when we're looking at these stories that Jesus is giving uh, to not look for a million points. Uh, they were given to the audience by Jesus, designed just to give a few main points. Jesus didn't live and die for us to get hung up on what the chasm between heaven and earth means or what Abraham's bosom represents, Okay. Um, The parables aren't Pilgrim's Progress. Not everything stands for something. Uh, However, I want to look at what prompted the story in the first place, a story told by Jesus concerning the life that now is and the life that's to come, and the life that's to come. So uh, have your eyes fall with me in verse 19, and like I said, we'll read to the end of the chapter. Now there was a rich man, and he had habitually dressed in purple and fine linen enjoying himself in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed from the scraps which fell from the rich man's table. Not only that, the dogs also were coming and licking his sores. Now this next verse is what would have really hit the Pharisees upside the head here. And we're going to talk about the context of this passage in just a second. Now it happened that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's arms or Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, he raised his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his arms. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Chilling verses, aren't they? But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set, so that those who want to go over from here to you will not be able, nor any people cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I request of you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not come to this place of torment as well. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Amen. Well, in Luke, you know, we're in the book of Luke here. It's interesting as we we unpack Luke, you know, verses 9 through 19 is Jesus's Galilean ministry heading to Jerusalem, okay? So he's already picked his disciples. And now he's telling stories. And as you turn to Luke 16, you pass a lot of very familiar chapters. 
You had the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, Luke 15, the prodigal son, right? And so in our chapters, you start seeing 16, it kind of turns towards money. You see the, the, both of these parables in this chapter start the exact same way. So at the beginning of this chapter, you can see the unrighteous manager here. And then as it gets, I want you to look at verse 14. This is before our passage, obviously. Look who he's talking to. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were ridiculing him. So we see who he's talking to <coughs> with the Pharisees. And then in verse 15, Jesus is showing uh, here, and he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of people. Jesus seems to be, even in our story this morning, especially speaking to the Pharisees. But he was also speaking, remember this, to a culture who believed, understood that rich people were obviously blessed by God and poor people were cursed. So Jesus was communicating to the Pharisees because in, in this, he's, he's, there's Pharisees, the disciples are there, probably some publicans, some other people. He's telling the Pharisees that despite all the knowledge that has been given to their blessed house of Israel, soon it will be too late for them because they have done nothing with the provided information. The Pharisees were rejecting the revealed truth that they were given. And that's what I kind of want to talk about this morning. So this morning, I want to emphasize the overall point, if you're the note-taking type, uh, the overall point is the reality of hell reveals the character of God. And uh, I always enjoy, I enjoy this slide. I've had this picture on my phone. Uh, most of you know I like Chick-fil-A to the point to where it's almost like an inhaler for me. It's just a really big deal. I really like it. I enjoy it. Um, I think all of you hopefully do too. Um, but it's, it's, uh, I was there a couple, uh, probably a month ago now. Um, and I went through, and tell me if this has ever happened to you. Raise your hand. Have you ever gone through the drive-thru and as you get up to pay, you get ready to hand them their credit card? And what do they tell you at the window? Somebody ahead of you paid for your meal. Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. Raise it up high. So that's happened to a good amount of you. And I think you're supposed to pay it forward. Um, I think that's the design, but uh, it, it's obviously stopped somewhere. Uh, but I went, through, I went through to get a drink, just a drink. And it was, it was on company time, so I was going to expense it with my company card. It wasn't going to cost me anything. So I get up to the drive-thru, I go to give them it, and they're like, oh, the person in front of you took it. What do you think I thought when I found out that they paid for that $2 soda that I was already going to get for free? I should have got more. You guys are just like me, or you're just as selfish as I am, um, which is very possible. But yeah, at the time, I was like, why didn't I get a nugget tray? Why didn't I get like a full-blown, like I almost in my mind, like, can I add to my order? It almost passed through my mind, and hopefully, maybe that doesn't pass through yours. Uh, but, you know, it's funny, until you can see how great a debt we owe, it's hard to know how much to really be that thankful yeah, I was thankful. I kind of gave a wave as the minivan drove away that was in front of me. But I promise you, if that was a $200 meal, I'm chasing them down at the stoplight and getting out and thanking them. And that's the point I want to make this morning. I want you to really think about that. And this is kind of why we're talking about the topic in general. You know, until we understand how great a debt has been paid um, by Jesus' death on the cross, we can't see what kind of debt we owe for our sinful lives this morning. This parable was intended to help us comprehend why our heart should be full of devotion to God and realize who Jesus is and what he accomplished on our behalf. So, we see the reality of hell reveals the character of God. So, in light of final judgment, we should rejoice of just two things. I'm getting you out with just two points, okay? Uh, that first point is God 
is just. We see in verse 22, uh, now it happened that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's arms. The rich man died and was also buried. You know, it's interesting here when you look at this, the justice of God, the poor, and we also see in verse 25 that all the good things came to the rich man in life. Isn't it funny how the man, the beggar laid uh, at the gate who couldn't even walk was carried by angels to Abraham's arms or Abraham's bosom, which by the way, as soon as they mentioned the name Abraham to the Pharisees, they would have, they would have known this is a pillar of their faith. This is a hall of famer for them. And for the fact that this beggar who was poor in life would have been carried to Abraham's bosom. That would have been shocking to them at a place of honor like that. And then that the rich man would have what? What does it say about the rich man in verse 22? Simply died and buried. That's it. He just simply died and buried, and that's all that happened. So we see that God is just. What are the questions we hear in regard to judgment and hell? Well, here's some of the ones that I've actually heard live that actually people have told me this. How can a loving God send someone to hell? You heard that one? How can we be punished eternally for a finite sin? What credentials does God have to judge us in the first place? Does the sentence of hell fit the crime? That seems to be the, the big one. I'm here this morning to say, faith, the lawgiver God determines the answers to these questions. And the very nature of God is at stake. You know, God's honor and God's glory are manifest in the punishment of the wicked because he is holy and he is just, and he must punish sin. You know, Isaiah 66 says, fire won't be quenched because of what men have done to God. The character of God is at stake. Faith, the justice of God is as certain as gravity. And in light of final judgment, we can be confident our God is just. So I ask, how is Christ even qualified to judge? That was one of the questions. Scripture ascribes it particularly to Christ as the future judge. In John 5, 27, and God gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Acts 10, 42 describes Jesus as the one appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. These verses and others make it clear the honor of judging the living and the dead was conferred on Christ as our mediator. So we have a qualified judge. So why is judgment even necessary? Why can't God just wipe out all past sins and give us a fresh start? He did on the cross. Amen? So what keeps us out of heaven? Well, that's universal. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 59, God is so holy, he cannot allow sin into his presence. Because we are sinners, we are not entitled to enter God's presence in our current state. We have fallen short of God's standards, but he has provided a way that we can be back in communion with him. We see in verse 25, again, we see the rich man received good things on earth and Lazarus bad. However, we know that Lazarus, though poor, was a believer. The rich man, though rich and somewhat a good person, uh, was not a believer. Jesus is trying to make a point to the Pharisees here in our passage this morning that despite all their blessings, both ethnically and financially, they were in imminent danger of final judgment. And that is our same message today. Heaven is not our default destination unless our sin problem is resolved. See, hell is not imposed on us. It's the identity we have chosen our whole life if we have never put our faith and trust in the Savior. If we understood God's nature and our nature, we'd be shocked that some people could, we wouldn't be shocked that some people would go to hell, but that anyone would be permitted into heaven. Look at verses 23 and 26. I'll read them again. Uh, and in Hades, he raised his eyes, being in torment, saw Abraham far away, Lazarus in his arms, 
And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. This is our Lord describing hell. And what's he telling us about hell? What is Jesus' own words telling us? Hell is a place you go after death, a place of fire, a place of agony, a place you're thirsty. Once you're there, you're there forever. You know, throughout Scripture, it's also described as gnashing teeth, eternal fire, eternal punishment, place of unquenching fire where the worm doesn't die, with Revelation being even way more descriptive. These terms represent the fact that hell is the worst possible situation that could happen to a person. So why did Jesus talk so much about it? I believe because he took it on the cross, and it should remind us just how much our Savior loves us and just how much he values us. You know, we tend to distance ourselves from the reality of hell. You know, faith, it ought to be the first thing we talk about when we talk about the gospel. is salvation from hell. You know, there's a study in 2009, it was a secular study, but still interesting, of Christians and non-Christians were in the group. 75% of people living in America believe in hell. This was 2009. 75%. So Christianity is doing their job. They've got that point across, that there's a hell. But of that 75%, 4% believe there is any chance they would actually go there. So we've gotten the point across there is a hell, but we haven't gotten the point across that anyone's actually going. Matthew 7, 13 to 14, very familiar passage. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Well, that's the issue then, isn't it? Sin is so much a part of our culture that society has few consequences for it. We're simply used to sinning. People sin without immediate consequences, so they try to tell someone to try to tell someone that there's punishment down the road and the consequences maybe even deferred for decades. That's a hard sell. But what does Scripture tell us? Well, Romans 2, Paul is warning us, sinners are storing up wrath for ourselves before God. We are not getting away with anything. We're just accumulating iniquities and wrath is coming. And this is tough for people who are used to sitting and getting away with it, even in the church, Christian. Churches are reluctant to confront sin and teach people the consequences. But the Bible is just and tells us that every sin committed will be justly punished in hell if there is no belief, if there is no salvation. So when we talk about salvation, hell as a word needs to be used. What are we saved from? Are you saved from loneliness? Are you saved from anxiety? Are you saved from poverty? Are you saved from failure? Are you saved from sickness? You're saved from hell, which is conscious eternal punishment. And as harsh a topic as this is, remember, sinners who go to hell never repent. Look at verse 24. This is fascinating. I, I, I read this over and over. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus. Seems like the first thing the rich man would have asked was to get out of there. Or maybe he would have asked for a second chance. Instead, he uses the opportunity to boss Lazarus around. Still, every description of hell says it's not remedial justice. People there remain God-haters. The punishment doesn't catch up with the sin. They continue to mock God. If you think they're there in hell and they realize they made a huge mistake, that is not the case. That is not what the Bible says about hell. Hell is not a place God sends those who have been especially bad. If you're not in right standing with God this morning, this is, in fact, your default destination. The fact there is final judgment, Christian, should assure us 
that this universe is fair and just and God is in control. God keeps accurate records. Colossians 3.25 says, For the one who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he's done. Revelation 20.12 speaks of a book of life where the dead are judged from the things which were written in the book. This should help us keep us from harboring bitterness. And as 1 Peter 2.22 says about Christ, when reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he trusted to him who judges justly. Our God is just. Christian, every wrong in the universe will ultimately be paid for either by Christ's blood or final judgment. There will be no second chance. There will be no reversal of your fate when you see the result. Our decisions and character are fixed at death. When we, and we see that in the rich man in our, in our story. I had a preacher I was uh, reading a transcript from from the early 1900s, R.G. Lee in Memphis, uh, was preaching um, on hell. And he says, from this we learn the power and certainty of God in carrying out his own retributive providence that men might know that his justice slumbers not. Even though the mill of God grinds slowly, it grinds to powder. Yes, the judgments of God often have leaden heels and travel slowly, but they always have iron hands and crush completely. I thought that was a fantastic saying. So not only do we see that God is just, but secondly, in light of final judgment, we see that God is accessible. So we see in verse 29, in response to the rich man asking help for his brothers, Abraham tells him that his brothers here on earth already have the scriptures and testify to the gospel. We see in verse 30, but he said, no father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Luke can see where this chapter is going. He knows what's about to happen in Jerusalem, right? He knows there's about to be a, a uh, resurrection. And we, we see this. And he, he, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, one of the, you know, they named Lazarus in this uh, parable. So some people could think this was a parable or this is actually a story uh, because they named it. But I found kind of as a divine coincidence, we see something just two weeks later in John. There's another Lazarus, isn't there? There's two Lazaruses, unrelated, right? Um, a few weeks after giving this parable, Jesus resur actually resurrected from the dead an actual Lazarus in John 11. But that same miracle, what did they do when he raised that Lazarus? They wanted to kill that Lazarus. So here, two weeks prior, you have the same Pharisees, or at least the group of Pharisees, I don't know if they're the actual same ones, but you had the, same Phar the Pharisees saying, you know what, if you just sent Lazarus, or the rich man, if you just sent Lazarus, my brothers, no, they wouldn't, because two weeks later, they were just threatening to kill Jesus and Lazarus, an actual Lazarus that he actually resurrected. I find it fascinating. That's why I love that he named it. It had me kind of thinking. So in fact, they also plotted to kill Lazarus in order to hide the truth, these same Pharisees. These same religious leaders gave a demonstration of, our, of the message in our passage this morning that those that reject the writings of the Old Testament would still reject a greater light, even if it was the testimony of a ghost, even if it was somebody that rose from the dead. You know, God draws us by the teaching of his revealed word. James 1.21 says, The word of God, when believed and received, is able to save from sin. God has not left himself without witness. You know, we see in verse uh, 27, and he said, Then I request of you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. He's still treating Lazarus with disdain and has not learned a lesson. Hell is not punitive. Hell is punitive. It's not remedial. Another reminder here in this verse that hell is what sinners have always wanted, separation from God. 
Verse 31, the problem with the brothers is not that they don't have enough information about hell, right? Their problem is they didn't listen to what they had. You see, but he said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded. You know, they had the Old Testament this time for hundreds of years. So what would the Old Testament have already provided this crowd that was listening to Jesus? Well, the Old Testament would have provided information on the lawgiver, the judge. It would have shown a need for repentance, salvation by grace through faith alone, substitution as the way God deals with sin, repentance and belief, forsaking all other gods. The Old Testament would have shown Jesus was the promised Messiah who would crush the head of the serpent. Moses and the prophets would have shown that unconditional promises were to come to Israel and the world. That's what they should have already heard. That's what was already available to them. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to anything. So what can we draw as application here at the end of the chapter? I believe this gives us comfort, faith, that scriptures are enough. And it should be a motive to share this accessible, revealed gospel. So what do the scriptures reveal about hell? Well, I believe it magnifies the debt and shows God's love. This story shows the hardness of a man's heart while on earth and in hell. In effect, by the way we live our lives, we're either preparing ourselves for being in God's presence and enjoying him for eternity, or we are preparing ourselves for an existence where we are the center of the universe and we have no interest in being with people or uh, being with people of God or the people who love him. You know, there are many roads to hell based on our own sinful choices. There's a road to self-righteousness, a road to pride, a road of pride, a road of selfishness, but only one road to escape hell this morning. You know, John 3, 16, I most of you could quote this uh, verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you don't listen to scripture, you'll not be persuaded. The gospel is accessible to us, and that is what we need to use. You know, scripture itself does not always bring up hell in an evangelistic way. Sometimes it does, um, but not always. There can be a reluctance to talk about punishment of the wicked to those who are outside of Christ. Eternal punishment is not easy to talk about, even the day after Christmas. Uh, if we could invent our own religion, maybe we wouldn't include it, but we're not free to do that, okay? And we have to speak on what the Bible speaks about. Jesus himself had the most to say about it with emphasis. How can anyone that has violated God's law pay for the sins of this lifetime? Christian, nothing but the death of Christ would suffice. Then what remains for the people who have refused Christ, who want no part of the sacrifice? Well, I believe Hebrews 10, 26 to 27 says it best, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That's harsh, but the harshness is kind of the point. To be separate from God, from his inheritance, from his people, and to be under his wrath forever is terrible to contemplate. But remember, as with Adam's first sin, each sin is an affront to the dignity of an eternal God. A sermon on hell and judgment is not being done to dwell on hell or Satan. Knowing your enemy is important, but even more important is knowing the one that has crushed this enemy. One of the sobering realities of this topic is so many people do not believe they are headed to hell. Matthew 7 earlier reminded us, narrow is the way. Should we cross our fingers and hope our name is written in the book of life? 
Since you can die at any moment, it is of grave importance that you know and know now where your eternal destination will be. Why speak of hell the day after Christmas? Why speak of hell at all? Why doesn't, people, uh, why doesn't God give people a second chance, a do-over? If people tasted hell, wouldn't that give them the motivation to change their minds? These questions assume faith that God didn't do everything he could before people died, and I reject that. The rich man in our story did not ask to get out of hell, just a drink. Okay? Do people wake up in the morning and consciously choose hell? Probably not. But they do choose not to care about the kinds of values that will be present in heaven every day. Hell is not simply a sentence. It is that. But it is also the end of a path that is chosen right here, right now, day by day. We saw in our story this morning, death did not destroy identity. Rich man was still himself in hell. Lazarus was still Lazarus. The rich man knew he still had brothers, uh, which was one redeeming quality he had. It's remarkable that some people believe death will work for them like a marvelous transformation. They can live their sinful lives any way they want, and the mere act of dying means they will go into the presence of God as white as snow. Faith, only the blood of Christ can cleanse our heart, and decisions made in this life will affect our destiny for all eternity. Faith, there is good news this morning. Romans 8.1, you know this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. By Jesus' death and resurrection, he has provided a way for us to be in heaven, in fellowship with him. I ask you this morning, do you have a relationship with our Lord this morning? I ask if you do not, that today would be that day. I'll have the uh, music team come up, and if you guys could bow your head, and let's pray.